Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 34, Annual Results 2020 from Dividend Stocks. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. I'm your co-host, Engineer My Freedom, and today I'm joined with European DGI. This is a podcast where we discuss our passion for dividend growth investing with our own unique European flavor. If you're new to this channel, please hit the like button and subscribe to us, and check out our previous episodes on YouTube and Spotify. See you on the inside. Good morning, good morning, European DJ. We we finally got through that intro. <laughs> it took me a, a couple of attempts, and we, we've had to change the heading. So we um we we, we had div- we had dividend day uh, Thursday night, and and my key takeaway from that was that non English speakers can speak better English than <laughs> than native English speakers, and I think that's proven because I couldn't say fiscal. I was saying physical and all sorts of words. So we we've changed it too annual results just to just to help me out but how are you how are you on this saturday morning wasted because of <laughs> dividend day first and then um, I, I went too late to bed it was fun talking with like-minded people and then last uh, yeah last night as well so I'm, I'm just wasted um but i think we'll have a lot of fun today because we have some great news items to talk about great annual fiscal 2020 <laughs> year results <laughs> and i think a nice stock pick oh, and some great listeners questions as well so cool so we'll, we might start with some some news um i know you're wasted but we'll, we'll go with you first oh okay so actually uh, i want to really share kudos to matt money the our youtube guy uh, on twitter because um he lost 50k uh in Ooh. in trading and naked call options on uh, gamestop so 50k i mean wow that is like uh what is it 100 uh, in the years of dividend per month yeah that, that he lost so what he did is um, he sold 100 dollar naked call on gamestop and then uh, when i watched this video he got afraid when it went to i think to 300 that that the, the bank would call him up and start liquidating his portfolio for for, for, for making sure that uh, he has the money behind it. So he, he sold it. Yeah, and we know where the stock is now trading, right? So it was like a two, three day hike, which cost him 50K. Yeah, and, and it's, I think it was about $70, $60 at the moment. So that's that's a hard a hard hit to take. And it's it's it's, it's my main it's my main problem with options. I, I, I follow Matt and I've seen he's he's made some of these I'm going to call them gambles because if 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 you're with naked call or puts, it's a gamble, really. And and some of them have paid off, but it only takes one one bad one to go the wrong way. And I think he's learned a, a pretty harsh harsh lesson lesson there. Well, fair play to him for putting putting it up because you you see you don't see too many people putting up their losses. It's it's all to the moon, baby, and and all this kind of carry on and how much they make. So fair play to him, and I hope hope it's a lesson to to other people getting in. Don't don't uh, sell, don't sell naked. Yeah, never. Uh, neither in real life. <laughs> but um, I will uh, I will put the link to his video in the podcast description because I've uh, you know because of this he's really genuine. I've got a lot of respect for him in his videos. And uh, he, if you re- watch his video, he's really open about it, and he really really uh, shares his lessons in an honest way. And I have lots of respect for that. It's just pity for him that it cost him 50k yeah. yeah but better 50k than liquidating his portfolio yeah okay and then the next item which i found really really interesting and i don't know this doesn't lit how is it hit fintwit uh often right There's such kind of news but there has been a breakthrough in quantum computing and it's not ibm we know ibm is the most patents in the world but again they are lacking on innovation but uh, Microsoft and the University of City had a breakthrough in quantum computing because they were able to go from 50 qubits to uh, thousands of qubits. And 
why this is so important because if you look at some of the biggest challenges that we have in the world for instance curing cancer uh, it's a computational uh, problem that we have in the world and making this progress in quantum computing can really really change life and the economy as we how we know it today and the fact that microsoft is part of this just makes me you know after their 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 earnings from last uh, week that this makes me so much believing in microsoft for the next 30 decades um, and and this is just a news item that, that you find somewhere um, in the corners of the internet but this is huge for me this is really huge this kind of technological uh, breakthroughs yeah it's it's big big news and microsoft being on the forefront of this is is huge for them they, they can't do anything wrong at the moment every 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 step they make seems to be positive but in terms of of the computing world and and as you said for for healthcare research companies quantum computing can be can be massive and hopefully hopefully it, it paves the way to eliminating cancers and and all these kind of diseases so yeah i know it's 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 good to see this imagine where it'll be in 10 years time yeah exactly these are like these are proper moonshots right not the google ones but these are proper moonshots for me yeah mm. so what what did you see in the in the news this week uh, i i've been inspired by wall street bets um this week so all i've been reading is to the moon baby with rocket ships so i came across a few articles about about space um and the first one was uh, china actually they're they're open space at the moment they are their space their space shuttle i think it's toy win one is on its way to mars at the moment and it released its first shots of of mars they're about 200 million miles away um i think they'll be close to orbit actually in the next four or five days so that'll be interesting but what i found what i found interesting with the the, the shots of mars is first of all it was white and gray but they took grayscale images um, and the second, it was flat. <laughs> no, it wasn't flat. It was, it was round. <laughs> but it, it. I mean, this technology is 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 crazy that it can go so far away, and they're communicating and sending these pictures back to Earth. So it's um, it's it's a good mission, and it, it shows that the the space race is back, isn't it? With China, China up there, mm -hmm. we we've seen Jeff Jeff Bezos has, has stepped down from Amazon, um, and he's focusing on other projects, and and one of them is Blue Origin, which again is 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 involved in space so we we mentioned that space might be the new trend going forward for the next couple of years and it's it's looking it's looking that way um i'm hoping ibm might release something and put blockchain up on mars or something so they might take off a little bit yeah i think they don't uh, have a mainframe anymore in the rockets <laughs> but uh, what what imagine that you uh, would go to mars right what would you do with your dividends I, I have absolutely no interest in going to mars none none whatsoever but my my, my son does um and the, the first like he he was the one who brought this to me and and jeff bezos and his first question was why is it why is it white and not red and i had to explain what grayscale imaging was and, and how that works but uh, i mean anyone that wants to go to space is more than welcome but uh, I I don't know. I just rather stay stay in there, to be honest. <laughs> cool. Um, so let's go then now to the uh, main topic of today. Let's talk dividends and dividend stocks. Cool. We talk some earnings. So we have Abby V first, a really popular healthcare company. So if you might want to give some figures, I think you've done some research. Yeah, well, they, so let's say just the headlines, right? Uh, how I look at the company before I give some of the figures. So what I just like about this year is that they have integrated Allergen now, or Allergan, I, I, you know, I don't know how you know, pronounce this. So it's really integrated now. Uh, Yumira did still pretty well in the United States. Um, in Europe, there's a decline. So what I've been just seeing is that they've been really diversifying their portfolio. And um, what I also really liked is that other drugs are sta starting to pick up now. And this may be also a good one. I was talking with Dave Dividend Wave about, um, about it. And if there's any reader that understands this kind of language, but they had a non-cash charge for uh, Skirizi, contingent consideration revaluation, based on higher estimated future, future sales. 
So we both don't really know what this means. But what we do know that the Skirigi drugs is really, really, really popular at the moment or really doing well. And if, if we see about how it's growing and Dividend Wave shared me a nice picture, it's actually growing a bit quicker than Yumira in the early days. So we are just a little bit uh, confused about the, the language here, what this means, because they are having a big impairment, um, which is, um, I said, which is impacting their quarterly earnings negatively. But it sounds like um, they probably have a deal, an in-licensing deal with the company that actually developed it. And therefore, because the drug became more popular, probably there has to be something with the asset side of the balance sheet. But we're not getting totally our understanding. We need to wait for the annual report itself to fully grasp it. Yeah. But um, it shows the diversification of their pipeline. And they're really knocking it out of the park with these new drugs. And I think this will give the cushion to, um, uh, to the Umira impact of biosimilars. And, you know, the, the gap EPS um, um, is, of course, lower. It's around $3, let's say, a little bit less. And um, uh, I said the non-GAAP EPS is around $10 and a bit, um, which means depending on which you prefer, uh, in this case, I think uh, it's fair to go more towards the $10. Um, well, you get it for a multiple of 10. Yeah, and next, next uh, year's earnings are expected to be around 7 um, uh, for GAAP and 12 for non-GAAP. So again, you get it really for a low multiple at the moment. It sounds really, really positive, particularly with the Humira drug. I know that the patent has run out in, or the patent has run out in Europe. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, it still it has another couple of years to go in in the US, which yeah. which is probably why the sales. But it's it's encouraging to see other drugs come because that's the that's the biggest concern, isn't it? That's why the that's why they were undervalued around seventy, eighty dollars for for a long time. Yeah. Um, we might see them pop now that that these concerns are being being washed away so no sounds 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 good for for me i i hold abiv i i haven't haven't looked at the results I, i'm just looking at at that non-cash charge and it it looks like they must you're right they must have some agreement for future sales or it might be yeah. at a set price um i'm not sure why it would impact them negatively now but no i'll, I'll keep an eye out for that when when the annual report comes so you're happy you're a happy investor Yes, so I've got a full position already for a really long time. And this is for me really like a, a buy and forget, um, I said, almost investment. Because I, I hardly look at Humira, uh, at, at Apfi. Um, the only thing I do is every quarter, I quickly check the headline around uh, how how the, uh, I said, the biosimilar impact is. That's the only thesis that I have that could impact it negatively. Yeah, and it's the same with all these healthcare companies. Yeah, drugs. It's, it's the same for each one. Cool. So, so then, also, how is it? Shell reported um, uh, earnings. Yeah, Shell, Shell reported earnings, and you know, for me, this is one that that I'm really keen and, and interested in. I've watched a couple of videos on this from Jessica. Oh, I don't know how to say her surname. She's the chief financial officer, and also from Ben, and and both of them came across very very well i saw an interview with ben actually and he was asked some hard questions i mean you, you look at the figures and I'll, I'll talk about them they're not great uh, they don't stand out they don't stand out on you but if you focus on on what they're not saying or what they are saying in the interviews it's it gives a really compelling case um they kind of explain why they've had to cut the dividend and the impact of that and we're starting to see the benefits benefits of that but i'll i'll, t I'll talk through it talk through it a little bit so Jessica was really talking about how they've started to divest non-core positions. So comp no, projects that were not making money or were just useless, they're just getting rid of them. And, and they're trying to, I suppose they're trying to simplify the business model a little bit, which simple is always, always good for me. They're, they're marketing, they've, they've really pushed the marketing side on, on this call. Uh, they've seen an increase in digital services, retail stores, and, and Asia has popped popped a little bit so they've really pushed that side of it and the nice thing about that is that it's independent to the price of oil or our, or our gas position so it's nice to see that side of it doing well it gives it a little bit of diversification and a little bit of a safety net they it, it was i think last year was all about 
cost discipline. And I think that's the message that I was getting. So obviously they, they reduced the dividend, but they were also reducing OPEX, operational expenditure, capital expenditure, and, and they've done a, a great job at, at doing both of them. And they've really tightened up their balance sheet a little bit. They still have a, a highish amount of debt. And their main goal is to reduce that to 65 billion. It's around 74, 74 billion at the moment. Um, and and they have come out and said that once it hits 65 billion, that's the priority, they will then distribute 20 or 30% of operational cash flow to their shareholders. So so that's encouraging. I mean, it took it took them it took them less than a year to get that down four billion. So I, I know it won't be a straight line, but we could expect to see that in the next next two years. Well, don't uh, forget that uh, last year they had also a negative oil price for the first time in history. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. four billion. If you if you think logically, then next year they should be able to actually. Uh, yeah, of, of course. If 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 price goes up and look we, we we don't know and he he was asked to give a, a hard date on that then was and he he sidestepped that and said look there's too many variables I, i'm not going to give you a date but what I can, I can guarantee you is that once it hits 65 we will re, we will reward our shareholders which is quite encouraging for me um they, they did increase the dividend by four percent i i don't understand why i mean i mentioned the figures volume was low revenue was low earnings dismal everything was was as you expect with the lower with the low price so I, I didn't see the need to increase it they've already increased it two quarters ago um so i'm, I'm not sure why they felt the need to do it now it, it, it's nice but um i'm i'm happy enough with with how they are with how they handle the situation it gives me more confidence of why i didn't sell them as, as a dividend investor even even when they cut their maybe maybe they feel regrets and they've been watch reading the reddit forums and are afraid uh, that they will go to the moon anytime soon yeah they, they, they probably caught it too much maybe they thought 66 uh, percent was was too big of a decrease and they were trying to just get it back or, mm -hmm. or the uncertainty was so like we see that the oil prices and they, i know they've had some they've had some restrictions there was hurricanes in the gulf of mexico which is causing problems there's this opec plus restrictions so there's a lot of uncertainty not just not just COVID that was sitting around shells so they, they made a hard decision um that really really stood out for me is that look they didn't want to make this decision but they, but they've dated and we're going to look at exxon mobile in a few minutes and we'll, we'll see the difference um and for, for me i I'm, I'm happy enough that the numbers can improve but we should see that then as as oil and prices increase so this disappointing in numbers but from what they're saying and, and the direction that they're taking I'm, I'm happy and if you look at the market reaction it was quite okay because shell share price did quite well so i think the investors uh, saw no surprises in these reports yeah you mentioned management quite a lot and 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 Ben is one that I really, really like. He, he, yeah, he seems me to me there's no there's no bullshit. He he seems to tell it straight. Um, there is a little bit of fluff sometimes around his answers, but it has to be. But he um seems to be straight down the line, and I, I really like that. And it gives me confidence that when he says they'll reward us at sixty five billion, they'll do that. Or it gives me confidence that when they say they're trying to do this. That they are actually yeah. trying to trying to do it. So. Well, the fact that he's the CEO uh, prevented me also from selling the shares because mm. he's really genuine. You can just mm. see that with everything. Yeah, I would almost say that he cares about us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> okay, so then um, I, I actually watched in a, in another. Um, well, I, I think they are both British now. You could almost say not anymore uh, Dutch British. So I I I, I read up on, on the Unilever still in the remaining time that I had to prepare. And what I really liked about Unilever is that they also really set out this strategic framework. So besides the earnings, right? Probably is good to do good to mention uh, their underlying earnings per share are around two and a half euro, which is uh, if you do that for a multiple of uh, twenty, it would would mean a 50, um, 50 euros. We saw the price drop significantly, about 8% or 10% even in those two days. So the, I don't understand why, why the market is reacting like that because for me, their earnings were quite good. Um, they had deleted earnings per share of 2 euro um, 12. 
and their free cash flow went up from 6.1 billion uh, on an annual basis to 7.7 billion what is important to know that the free cash flow is being pushed up mainly because of um uh, they they just lowered their capex yeah their capital expenditures uh, which means in, in in layman's terms for us it means like just ordinary cost cutting and uh, what they also did they increased their focus on receivables which means like they asked their um I said their uh, vendor management department probably to uh, chase up all the people they still owe money from or still uh, need to receive money from and tell them to pay quicker. So that's how they have been able to um, uh, really improve their cash flow. Um, but this is really good news because it also allowed them to, um, I said, pay down debt, if I remember correctly. Um, so their debt figure looks looks much better. So all in all, I think they did the right things. Their earnings are stable. They increased their dividend also by 4%. So for me, the opportunity that we saw of the share price decline is really great now. I own already a large position, so I'm a bit more greedy maybe than others. But hey, if you, if, if you want to have a decent European co company, I think it gave you really a nice entry price at the moment. And, and therefore, I also sold uh, a put option on uh, 42 euros expiring in March, I think, which gave me 45 euro as, as, as dividend income. That's how I look at it because I'm willing to buy 42 because for me, the magic number is 42 dots or comma 68 because that would mean exactly 4% yield. And that's for me a really nice one to get Unilever at. Yeah, I have to admit that I bought them as well when I seen the dip, I, I quickly went went through the numbers and not really jumped out as to why they 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 dip so much so i bought an additional i think it was 10 shares the when i was reading they they were focusing on this strategic framework that they have and i think they mentioned somewhere that 60 percent um was winning market share which is which is quite which is quite quite good and I, i'm actually the i was never really aware of unilever maybe 12 months ago or our, our products and and they are everywhere i I was down in our, it's it's like um, where we used to buy stuff for our, our cafe. It's like a wholesaler mm -hmm. store award. And I was walking through um, the amount of products there. I mean, from gravy to everything, everything down there was Unilever. I was taking pictures and I was there to my sister-in-law, buy this. I have shares in this company, buy this, buy this. But they're just, they're just, they're just everywhere. So I, I'm, quite, I'm quite happy. The dip is welcome for me. They, they dropped under my cost basis. So I, I load up. I, I quite, haven't quite got to selling puts on them. Um, you have to, you have to, you're obligated to buy a hundred shares, so it's probably out of my range at the moment. But yeah, no, it's solid water, and and I, I I can't explain why they've dropped. Yeah, what I like about their strategic framework, right? And and we've seen that already a little bit, but. Uh, on, on in particular, and this is maybe also the, the new CEO. I mean, he is already for two years now, I think. But their third strategic choice is to accelerate in the USA, India, and China, China, and leverage our market strengths. For me, this is really the main catalyst of Unilever, uh, the emerging markets in Asia. I think they have so much still to do there. And I saw that, for instance, they uh, introduced Domestos, their cleaning product for toilets and such uh, in China, and it increased their sales, I believe, with 25% here. And I think there's so much opportunity for a company like Unilever still there, which will, which should give us growth. And now to really focus on that as one of their fifth pillars makes me really uh, bullish on the long-term future of, of Unilever. And then, and last but not least, they have also this purpose driven brands that they focus on as one of the pillars and they have this um, kind of beyond meat equivalent which also grew 70 percent during pandemic times so uh, and and they have also the dollar shave club so they're also really into this new new fancy startups and that's what i really like about unilever uh, and, the, and they can scale those companies right that's the interesting part what's this beyond meat is that for Vegetarians so Beyond Meat is not from Unilever, right? Uh, Beyond yeah. Meat is um, this company which um, is fake meat, effectively, and they can create a meat equivalent in the lab, and they produce okay. that. So they sell burgers now, I think, with uh, Burger King. And I think uh, the one from Unilever, from top of mind, I think is called The Vegetarian Butcher. 
I think it was a Dutch uh, startup that they per acquired uh, not mm. long ago. And they are now scaling that to a global level. And they're selling all this vegan-based um, uh, meat that tastes like real meat. So for someone like me who has a vegan diet, this is brilliant because from time to time I just go to the shop uh, here to the Lidl, I buy such a vegan burger and I can just uh, as much enjoy the, um, yeah. the the style, the lifestyle, let's say, of going to McDonald's. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I don't know if I could bring myself to eat something that's made in a lab, but I I mean, I, I do. My sister-in-law is, is vegetarian. And she does miss out on you know, when we go to McDonald's and places like that. She'll go and she'll she might buy the chips or something, but it's not the same experience. So I, I can see the appeal for non meat eaters to, to go down this well, road. Well, you know, uh, EMF, wake up, it's 2021. Tell me what's not made in the lab. Everything that the cow puts in the mouth is made in the lab. I make everything out, out the field at my back, all organic. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll we'll move on. So we have a couple more. Um, I kind of briefly flicked over Affleck um, last night, so I didn't I didn't go too deep into him, but I just had a, a quick look at, at the figures. Um, actually, Dapper Dividends has a video on YouTube about about them. He, he analyzed which which kind of helped me summarize them in about seven or eight minutes, which is which is quite cool. Um, so the first thing to say is that they that they beat earnings expectations. Um, they had a strong year in Japan, so it was up three percent year on year in that quarter. I think about three point nine billion, and their earnings, their tax adjusted earnings, was eight point five percent, and their net investment income was up sixteen percent. The U.S. had a bit of a weaker quarter. Revenues were down due to lower premiums. Pre-tax earnings were down thirty-two percent, um, and then we we know Americans like to claim and and sue, so there was a lot of COVID-related claims, which kind of impact them, impacted them there. So we, we'll start to see that even itself out over the next couple of quarters as, as vaccines are rolled out. They bought back, they were quite aggressive in, in their buybacks. So they, in the last quarter, they bought back 11 million shares. Um, so And and they also increased the dividend by 17.9%. So it was, it was it was kind of a so-so quarter for me. The strong in Japan, weak, weak, in, weak in the US. Over the full year, they were a little bit better. Um, the revenues were up; it was up one percent. Earnings were up, and I think they spent one point five billion in share buybacks. So they, they really are rewarding their shareholders. I mean, we're seeing huge hikes in dividends. We're seeing share buybacks, and I mean, look, they're, they're a solid company. They've been paying dividends for I don't know thirty, I don't know how many years. They're dividend aristocrat. Insurance in this game, I, I don't, I don't see real problems from coming in I, I imagine the US will, will flatten out once COVID once COVID goes away and they are they're taking Japan is doing really well and also their investments so they invest in companies and, and stuff it seems to be paying off quite quite handsomely so it's a stand, a kind of a standard report from them um, have, have you I know you were mentioning you you were thinking about buying them did you buy them in the end no not yet it didn't get to the price for which i want to own it and this might be just one of those companies that i will regret not not purchasing on time yeah. but what i've seen in aflac over time they always have big dips uh, in there mm. so uh, for me it's just a rock solid company and i'd love to to really initiate a position in it at a certain moment and yeah, if we look at other insurance companies, right, they all have this a little bit. COVID-19, yeah. the natural disasters, as how, as how they call it. It's it's in all those reports. But remember, for an insurance company, this was probably one of the worst years in, in, in their almost history. Yeah, if you think about events being canceled, that they all insure it, all these kinds of things. Yeah. So... so yeah, like for for the year that we've had, the results are are pretty good. I would say so. Yeah. Okay, so let's do a mind switch uh, again. Let's go to Exxon Mobil, and I will keep it relatively quick, uh, or maybe not actually. So Exxon Mobil is on my. Uh, let's start with it. Exxon Mobil is on my list to sell. I'm I'm I've been studying it. I wanted to wait for these numbers, and. Uh, but I've got also a doubt there. So look, 
and, and I tell you, and I'm sharing this because I think many investors might have this because I've got quite, quite a large position. I've got, I think, 150 shares in ExxonMobil, which is quite significantly, which also means it gives me quite significant dividend income, which I'm using to reinvest so that I have the snowball quicker. So I think the yield, I don't know, I didn't check for, for two or three months, but the yield is probably around 7%, somewhere 7 8%. So I was thinking, okay, I would like to um, start dollar cost averaging myself out in ExxonMobil, but I don't want to give up some dividend income. Yeah, so this is really where I have the dilemma at the moment, because what can I go then? I can go to those two European companies, Anagas, Red Electrica, which I don't want to be two big positions in my portfolio. I have already enough up fee and, and the other five, six percent yielders. So it's not really an alternative for me at the moment. So this is how you should know that I was looking at these fourth quarter results. So what I'm then looking for is some hope in this report. So and then it's so funny, right? Uh, I mean, it's they, they are really a bunch of hypocrites at Axon Mobile. I mean, look at that. The third line in their um, in their press release was, "We met 2020 methane." emissions 15 percent reduction and flaring 25 percent reduction targets versus 2016 okay and then it comes and announced 2025 emission reduction plans and here i start really laughing projected to be consistent with the paris agreement now if there's one company that's a hypocrite by supporting trump to to pump more oil and now mentioning the paris agreement means like oh come on i can't take them serious i think they put it in there for a legal point of view that 20 years down the road they can say well we mentioned that we want to uh, comply to the paris agreement yeah what a bunch of idiots that's what i thought when i read that anyway uh then comes the fun part so they said um that the uh, they said on the on the forward plans cash flow this year expected to cover capex and maintain their dividend and strong balance sheet so i don't agree anymore that they have such a strong balance sheet because they've been really leveraging up um but what i'm happy with is maintain the dividend and here we were talking on dividend day with um, and dividend wave brought us up that americans are really really focused on 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 dividend growth compared to european culture so I mean, I have this major dilemma, and for instance, I've got 150 shares. I might just sell 50 shares over the upcoming quarter and try to reinvest it elsewhere. I will not straight away go to zero in this position uh, overnight, which gives me time to find alternative uh, high yield because I have a mixture of low yield, mediocre yield, and high yield in my portfolio. Um, but you know, this company, um, what I wanted to mention besides their commitment to the dividend, their capex was uh, sorry their uh, free cash flow was horrible it didn't cover at all so what you need to know is their capex they reduced their capex last year from 31 billion to 21 billion this is 30 percent reduction which is insane yeah where you need to think about how they do that is is by and i i i, I um, met it here so they removed less strategic assets from the company upstream development plan but what you need to know about one of the valuations for um, an, uh, an oil company is their reserve replacements. So they will have less and less reserves over time, which means that their future cash flow is again under pressure. So it gives now a nice hike in their free cash flow. But okay, they went to 21 billion. So I don't know. I don't think they can do it another time, 30% degrees. Yeah, it is amazing. But then they also have a 14 billion dividend commitment if they maintain it. So they need a cash flow of 35 billion. And their free cash flow, um, or sorry, I think their operating cash flow, where do I have it? Yeah, the operating was 17 billion. So, and then minus CapEx, they would have a negative free cash flow of minus 4 billion. Yeah, so they're missing uh, effectively. Uh, what is it 14 billion to pay the dividend they are just not covered at all and and this concerns me because they want to have a good balance sheet as well i don't know how they can how they can do that and they are thinking that they will will be able to cover the dividends in the capex at an oil price of 50 dollars that's all what it is about are, are they being too optimistic or are they just being naive um what's the difference optimistic 
I suppose they, they, they have some hope or they have some solid, no solid grounds as to why they'll be able to cover or are, are they just like naive? Are they, are they being foolish into thinking that they'll be able to cover? Cause it, it doesn't look like they, they can, I, I can't see it uh, how they can cover. Yeah. I, I have the same feeling. Uh, that's why uh, I'm bullish on shell and, and, and bearish on X and mobile. That's why. So the only thing why I'm why I'm not selling my whole position yet is because of their commitment to the dividend, and they kept paying it. So it gives me time to exit the position more naturally without having a really strong impact to my um, current dividend mm. income, which I also need for reinvestment. And and with with your dilemma, I mean, I imagine plenty of investors have have this dilemma. Uh, have you made a capital loss on the share price? I don't care really about the capital loss uh, from that point of view because it allows me to uh, tax harvesting on things that I would sell in the future. So I'm not, um, although you can say that the fact that um, I'm resistant to selling because of the dividend yield is is an effect of capital uh, share price loss. Because mm -hmm. when I bought it, it was all around $70, let's say. It's now around $50. Yeah. So at seventy dollars, the dividend has a lower yield and will be easier to replace this company for another company in my portfolio. Yeah. Of course. So there is a correlation there. Um, but you know, I, 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 the nice thing about this one is that uh, ExxonMobil will not disappear overnight. So how I have been dollar cost aver averaging into that company for three years, so I can also take three years to dollar cost average out. I don't think that the price of the shares will go much lower than where it is around 45 50 yeah unless there comes a big crisis again like last year or unless they cut the dividend i from what i've seen and how committed the board of directors is i don't see them cutting it on the short term because they still have enough wiggle room in the in the balance sheet so so to play devil's advocate here a little bit given your thoughts that they they won't drop in price too much too much lower they have a a, a healthy dividend yield that they mm -hmm. will maintain it might be a good short-term play for somebody uh yes definitely it might be a, yeah but, but you know i'm not a short-term player so but indeed if some people expect that the economy will reopen planes are up in the air again um, i can imagine that exxon mobile goes quickly back to 60 dollars per share yeah at least and and, and you get you get seven percent yield for that risk as well so it yeah. might be it might be a good short-term play okay cool it, it's interesting to see the difference between exxon mobile and shell isn't it to, to compare how, yeah. how, how they both handled and, and you look at shell and they seem to have a kind of a rock solid balance sheet and exxon mobile are just kind of scrounging the pennies to pay to pay the dividend yeah and shell is talking about the future more than exxon mobile exxon mobile yeah. is not talking about the future at all they're only talking about cutting reductions and i don't hear that at shell i hear more more a future strategic yeah. vision and i think this american mindset of having to pay the dividend may play a factor because if if exxon mobile cut their dividend the same as shell their price would tank a lot more. Yeah, definitely. A lot, a lot more. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll move on. We have a couple of companies left. Um, we might just do a quick fire round um, to get them through. So we might look at Amazon. We, we mentioned Jeff. Jeff was stepping down earlier. Um, have you got a chance to look over some of their results? Well, I, I was just really uh, impressed by the net sales that went up 44% in the fourth quarter. It's amazing. Yeah, 125 billion alone. And we had Apple, 111 billion in the fourth quarter. Uh, Amazon joined the club as well. It's it's amazing. It's really amazing what they've done. And they keep keep on growing really like everything is on fire. So also, what is it? 41 uh, EPS per share uh, compared to 23. So they doubled their, their, their earnings per share. It's amazing how they've grown. Yeah, and they did well over the full year as well. I think their full year net sales was three hundred and eighty-six billion. It's, it's crazy yeah. numbers, crazy, crazy numbers. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see now once Jeff steps away. I know he's not stepping away completely, but how that will affect Amazon, 
um will will their share price tumble because of this um or i, I know the new guy coming in uh, andy jesse i think he, his name is he, he's yeah. he's he's coming in there and he's been in amazon a long time so i'm sure you'll have some of the ethos that that, that uh, jeff had but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how, how it goes over the next next year yeah. or so so we move on to google next um and i must give a shout out to david m wave at when, when we were all speaking on thursday night i think we were all in agreement that his twitter these one pages of earnings was kind of keeping us all going quickly on a lunch break you look up dividend wave and he has he must be a mind reader because he has nearly every company that you want to want to see so keep it up dividend wave because we're kind of relying on you at, at the moment so i i took i took a snippet of his tweet on on google and he's talking about revenue up 23 percent next net income up 43%, free cash flow up 105%. My only problem with that is that it's all odd numbers. I, I don't like odd numbers. So if it was 24%, I'd be happy. But I mean, <laughs> I mean it's it's crazy the, the growth that they have. And they're sitting on about 136 billion in cash. I mean, that's yes. just, I mean, they have to start paying a dividend, don't they? Like a one, 2% dividend. I, I would I was really hope that and I, I own one share in Google. I bought it like at uh, was it at nine hundred dollars uh, two, three years ago. <laughs> I'm keeping on to it because I just love the company um, uh, Google and, yeah. and what they have done with the acquisition of YouTube that was so smart. Don't know what their next big acquisition will be like that, but uh, they just rocked the advertising place. And even though Facebook stepped in and became big in advertising and Amazon, they're still hitting it hitting it and um yeah a great company to own i think and it might be a future dividend payer one day um when yeah. we when we are old yeah <laughs> as soon as you sell it it'll probably start paying dividends <laughs> yeah that's how it usually goes right <laughs> usually works uh, i mean look incredible company so much cash flow and our, their, their figures speak for themselves yeah so we might look at chubb um i know i know you have a position in them so you, you might have um focused on yeah. these a little bit more yeah for me what was really interesting is that chubb in 2020 and we just spoke about one of the hardest years for um for a uh, company in the insurance uh, industry they increased their core operating income net of tax with 38 percent uh, year over year which is huge um i, I must confess they excluded a lot of the um i said let's say the impairments Otherwise, their earnings, um, let's say the, the what is the gap earnings, they look uh, look look less pleasant, let's say. Uh, but I understand why they do it, um, and their book value went also quite up with, uh, uh, let's say, seven to twelve percent. So for me, uh, Chubb has done a really a great year given the circumstances. We know that they had a lot of um, insurance policy around large events and everything, which got cancelled. But I think they did really, really well. And um, their full year consolidated net premiums went up by 5% to 33.8 billion. And this is what we were talking about earlier on in the shows, like the insurance companies will boom, uh, will start to boom in the upcoming time because there will be more risk-averse um, uh, mindset when the, when the, also the economy reopens. So they will, they will want to protect themselves more for a pandemic or something like that. So I think Chubb will be able to write a lot of premiums on that as well. That's my, my thesis for the insurance industry for companies like Chubb, AFLAC, uh, National and A London, the Netherlands. I think you can expect a lot of earnings growth in the upcoming few years. If I remember correctly, did you sell Disney and buy Chubb at the time? Yes, yes. So I sold Disney for around hundred dollars, and then uh, I bought Chubb for hundred dollars. Uh, Disney is at what hundred seventy-five, and Chubb at hundred sixty-two or something like that. Yeah. So you don't need. People always tell me, "Ah, oh, why did you buy uh, sell Disney, such a high-quality company?" Well, because they are not a dividend payer that I can count on. Uh, I'm I'm not so bullish on some of their business, right? The cruises, the parks, all is closed. So you buy it purely for the Netflix competition, which they won't be profitable on for the for the next few years, right? Uh, as per their estimates. So I bought Chubb, boring insurance company, and from a capital price um, appreciation because that's why people come to me, right? For the capital price appreciation, it's almost similar. I just get 
uh, a better, I just get a reliable growing dividend with it. Yeah. Turned out to be a good choice. Okay, we, we might we might squeeze in one more. Um, we might have a look at ABB. So they've they've done they've done uh, not too not too good from what from what I can see. If I'm reading these figures, okay, the, their orders was was down nine percent over the year. Um, revenues look like they're down four percent, um, and their operational EBITDA was seven hundred eighty-seven million, and the margin is about twelve percent. The the basic the basic earnings per share was actually up seven hundred eighty-five percent, which is which is crazy. I'm not I'm not sure why it's up up so much. Um, I'm not missing a dot or a comma there, am I? I don't think so. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but the operational earnings per share was was down was down thirty six percent. Um, the the cash flow from operations was four hundred eight million, but it had an, a negative impact from from pensions and and, and stuff of about two hundred seventy three million. So it doesn't look. I mean, they have it's a strong underlying performance, but I'm not too impressed with with any of these figures. So actually, I have a little bit of a different opinion on that because you need to know this is a cyclical industry, heavily cyclical. Mm. So for me, they actually knowing that they did quite well, and they, I, I guess they used it kind of as a kitchen sink year to quickly also do the uh, the pension uh, balance sheet clean clean up. Yeah. So I'm actually quite uh, no. If you think that the world closed down, which means that governments had other things to think about, infrastructure pro projects being delayed. I think an order decline of nine percent is not that bad actually for such a cyclical company. And I remember they also deliver a lot to the oil and gas industry. And we just spoke about that ExxonMobil declined their uh, capex with thirty uh, percent, which is impacting a company like ABB, right, in the supply mm. chain. So not too not too bad, I must say. Okay, do you, do you have a position in them? No, no, but I've been looking at them to consider them maybe as one of those uh, positions in my portfolio. I've got Siemens and I could have a second industrial company and I, I'm not interested in General Electric. So for me, it would be ABB or a company like Honeywell as an example that I'm eyeing. Have you ever looked at Rockwell? No, no. Okay. They might be a good alternative as well. Okay, okay cool. So it will... Go into some listeners' questions. We have a couple this week. And and the first one actually is for, for you specifically from the Wolf of Harcourt. And he, he said that you've mentioned before you have 10% in, in what you call mad money growth stocks. So he's a little bit curious to know what's in it and how is it performing. So what, what mad money means for him means for him like uh, grandfather's money probably. But um, I've got it in Facebook, Google and Alibaba, those are the, my three main non-dividend payers where I'm investing more for the uh, uh, growth and, 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 and tech as a combination. Um, but I'm, I'm then having a, a favor for cash-rich, mature, more mature companies already, so not the, the, the early, uh, early startups. Okay. Yes. Um, Phil, Phil has asked us a couple of questions. Um, what's your go-to website for daily financial news? CNBC. How about yours? I use Reuters quite a bit or Bloomberg. Um, and what's your favorite uh, go-to website for financial data? So when it's dividend data, it's IO charts. When it is uh, company data, it's Morningstar. I prefer to go to the investor relations. Of, of most sites, but I've also come across this site called Ticker. I've, I've wrote about them and they, they seem great. They have both US companies and European companies. So it's it, it's a really good site. I, I, I normally check the first two or three years of the financial statements to make sure that the data lines up and then I, I'm, I'm confident then with the rest. So that's that's the way I use. Um, we have one, one last question from Tony from 1millionjourney.com. And he asked us about our view on investing in gold. Yeah, um, I've thought many, many times about buying some gold, but uh, it's the same as the question about Bitcoin. I don't understand it. I, I can see the value in it. Um, I mean, I, when I started investing, I bought some some gold. I quickly sold out of it because, again, 
I, I didn't really understand and it was just flatlining for a long time but I, I can see the benefit of a dividend investor holding it and, and protecting it against fiat money devaluation so I can see I can definitely see the benefit but I, I just don't have any at the moment I, I have a question for you European DJ and you mentioned Unilever earlier moving more into emerging markets what's your view on emerging markets in, in the upcoming decade because they, they've really underperformed the last decade um so you need to know i've been in india uh, myself a few times um, and in other countries in the region uh, work related and the middle class is booming there and the middle and and the, the colleagues that i was talking to they are really hyped up on things like apple and 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 western products and they feel what i noticed they feel like it's their time now to to become wealthy which means the that they are also more likely to use products from Unilever over time. What I also, and, and I don't know if many people know this, but Unilever does a lot of local production and does a lot of local goodwill uh, charity as well because they are this purpose-driven business. So that's why I'm so bullish on Unilever in emerging markets because they are kind of co-creating the market there with, with, with uh, NGOs, citizens. And for me, this is really, really powerful because it means that uh, people will um, have have more, more I said, more interest in their brand, more loyalty to their brand. So that, that that's my view. The middle class is really rising. I can see that. I see it on my network in my network. Um, so I'm really bullish on it. Yeah, it, it, what's what's caught my eye is I've been. Oh, you follow some of the, the large investors, and and Ray Dalio is, is one that I like to follow. And he's moving a large portion of his portfolio into emerging markets. Now he's buying up some some ETFs, um, but it seems to be it, it, it's notable that all these big investors are taking money out of the US. I mean, the US is at all time high, and shifting slowly, slowly in, into emerging markets. So I'm wondering what the next decade will bring, and it's making me it's making me wonder whether I should. I, I don't like buying ETFs, but I, I don't know enough about companies in emerging markets to, to just maybe get a little bit of exposure into that for the next next couple of years but it's something that I'm, I'm reading up on so it's nice to hear your thoughts on it okay so we will move on to the last section i think i don't think we have any more questions and we will move on to the stock recommendation um i think i'm just going to pick a bank just for you because i know you love <laughs> thanks <laughs> But you um, took a nice company, actually, a nice European company. I yeah, like and and it's one that's been overlooked for a long time, um, and, and maybe because it's on the the Swiss exchange and the exchange rates uh, fluctuate quite a bit, particularly with the US. I mean, there's there's quite a fluctuation in that. But I, I believe they're one of the second largest pharmaceutical company. But really, they're they're a pharma and a research based healthcare healthcare company. The R and D plays a huge huge role in, in what they do. They were founded in, I think it was 1896, so it's it's 120 years old. But what's quite nice about them is that the founders, I mean, their ancestors are still involved in the company. So it's still, even though for its size, it's still family oriented. And, and when you read their annual reports, it really sticks out that uh, family, employees, welfare of, of it kind of all, you get that family feeling from it. Like, and I, I really like, I like that you go through and they have captions of, people that work from or people that benefit from their products and it gives you a nice feeling about the company and they, they operate under two main divisions as i mentioned they, they operate under pharmaceutical and diagnostics um, the pharmaceutical includes genetech and chugai so they are both japanese and american biotech companies and they, and, and they do quite well and then their diagnostics then they have diagnostics in diabetes moniker uh, molecule, uh, molecule uh, I can't even say that word, I'm going to say it. tissue diagnostics and, and so on. So the, the goal is to use both pharma and diagnostics, from, from what I can read, to generate a more individualized healthcare process. So like your healthcare will be individual to you and not just some generic drug off the shelf or, or so on. And it's quite, it's quite interesting. One concern I had about them before was reading through is that they're heavily reliant on cancer drugs. I know now they've they've started the R and D have started to look into MS and they've released products and they they started to diversify, and new products I think made up of forty seven percent of their sales last year, which is 
which is quite interesting. But from a dividend point of view, they've they've grown their dividend over the last 34 years. I think what's confusing for our US investors is that the currency fluctuations, you look at the dividend, it hasn't grown. It hasn't grown the same because of those. But in terms of Swiss franc, it has grown every year. Earnings per share has grown every year. Um, and they, they, they look they look quite good. I, I briefly looked over the, their earnings this this year and they've performed performed quite well. Their payout ratio is close to 70%, which is a little bit on, on the high, high side. But, I, I mean, you spoke about quantum computing earlier. And this is one of the, this is one of the things that, that really stood out for me, is, is their innovation within the R&D, moving into different drugs. But they, they're starting to utilize this quantum computing for stuff like Alzheimer's and, and, and cancer. So they seem to be at the forefront of that. And, and I know... Microsoft is, is developing this technology, but I can see a company like Rush coming in and, and taking over and, and really using that technology to, to help people. And if, if that takes off and you can cure Alzheimer's and cancer, I mean, I don't see any limits for this company. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the Noble 30 members, right? So um, um, yeah. it, it just shows together also with Novartis. I think Novartis had, has even a 30-person stake in Rush and they are both uh, headquartered in Switzerland and uh, yeah. I think three kilometers distance from each other. So I'm sometimes wondering who's really the boss here. Is it is the family or Novartis um, uh, when, you, when you read their reports? So yeah, I think it's a nice company um, uh, to have. And sometimes I'm just wondering, like what you just mentioned with, with, with this, imagine that indeed cancer would be curable. Mm. How would they earn their money? I mean, a lot of people get get cancer at at the moment. It's, I mean, there's six billion, seven billion people in yeah. the world. I mean, they, they cure it, but just because they cure from that person, I'm sure they won't eliminate it. Cancer will still yeah. probably be about. It you becomes be then more like um, a service company, I think. If you think yeah. about it, right? It becomes a service instead of a drug. So maybe uh, we will see this like. Uh, um, like the CEO of Rush, ten years from now, being talking like Tim Cook, we want to move, or uh, or like other any tech companies, we want to move our portfolio from uh, a licensing model or something like that into yeah. a service model. Yeah, uh, I mean, if it, it fascinates me, I, I never would have considered quantum computing and a healthcare company. I'd never put them into the same sentence. And then you, you just Google, just a quick Google, and you, you, you'll see the research that they're doing. And, I mean, it's incredible um, what can be achieved. It's really inspiring. And uh, I mean, I got the feeling from that company that they are more about the patient than making money. Obviously, they're a company they want to make money, but I didn't get that feeling from them. So that mm. that really, my, my only concern is the currency fluctuation. And there's, there is this 35% withholding tax as well from Swiss companies. So, I mean, it's it's quite high. Um, and and the currency fluctuation. If they were in euros, it'd be a no-brainer for me. But the Swiss franc is it does fluctuate. I think you look back in 2015, 2016, and you'll see, particularly to the US dollar, you can see the fluctuation is quite extreme. Yeah. Um, so I believe there was even a certain moment that the Swiss bank recalibrated their currency. That's why there was like then a yeah. really strong drop. And I remember here in Poland that many people that had a mortgage in Swiss francs really got uh, screwed up with that. Hence why banks are not allowing really anymore here to have a, a mortgage in Swiss francs, but rather in the local currency. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the only disappointing thing about all the pharma companies in Europe is they hardly give dividend increments, like 1% here, 2% there. And you see them all flattening in their dividend payouts. While if you look at their underlying numbers, they're all looking pretty good. So it feels like they're more cleaning up the balance sheet over the last two, three years. Yeah. And and I would love to see some uh, return to dividend growth, like six, seven percent dividend growth again. Uh, yeah, they I'm have not, the balance sheets. I, I'm not too concerned. We know European companies are more conservative in, in times like this. And, and, and we know this. And I, I'd much prefer that they are conservative now while times are uncertain. And then when we get back to normal, they increase. I, I much prefer that. It gives me more confidence in the balance sheet i mean their payout ratio is is a little bit on the high side for me it was near 70 percent. they're trying to reduce it down obviously um but no i have no issues with with the rate that they're that they're increasing at the moment 
Super. Well, nice pick, uh, EMF. Nice one. Okay, this brings us to the end of the show. I think it was a bit of a long one, but there are so many earnings this week, it, and we only addressed only a few still of them. So I hope uh, to everyone that stuck with us to the end of the show, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you find it informative. And um, what we're also trying to do is we're trying to get more uh, reviews on, uh, on our show because we noticed that uh, more listeners will find us then uh, because it will help the ranking in, in Apple Podcasts and such. So if you haven't done yet, and, and you were willing to even stuck to us until the end of the show. The, the best thing you can do is to show us your appreciation at the moment is to leave a review. Other, other than that, of course, uh, we'll, we'll meet you on Twitter again. So everyone have a great week and enjoy the upcoming earnings again. Adios.